0: You're listening to the weekly podcast by Forest Hill Church. Here you'll find a place to grow in your faith, get to know what the Bible's all about, and hear what it looks like to follow Christ. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit ForestHill.org. If you're a parent, search for our new Forest Hill Parenting Podcast and subscribe to get new content tailored just for you.
1: I am a wife and a mom and a leader of the church and a you know, full-time employee, so every day is kind of different for me, but one of the things that is most important for me and part of my identity is that I am a child of God, and so I seek to make Him first as part of every day. Five years ago, we adopted our son, and it was never a question as to whether I would stay at home or work. My husband is really great about seeing me and helping me be the best me. We decided both of us would work and we would send our son to daycare. For me, I realized I'm a better mom when I'm working. I really admire those stay-at-home moms, but for me, I am just better going into the office and working, and it's just how God wired me. The key to balance for me and how I stayed sane was my core, that means having Jesus be the center of my life. Only through that knowledge of God's word and who he is and who I am not that I feel I can really be the mom and the wife and the employee and the daughter and the leader of the church and everything that He calls me to be. God cares more about our relationship with Him and us taking time to listen to Him in the way that He uniquely speaks to us. I like schedules. I love my Bible in a Year plan because every single day I know exactly what to read. My husband hates to read, right? Something that's short and simple or an audio book is is good for him. But the importance is making sure you get that scripture, whether it's through music or through listening to an audio Bible. It's really important. So just like I thirst for water and believe that you actually don't wait till the point of getting thirsty for water you you have it then I feel the same with God's word so I have God's word everywhere in my house I have little pieces of scripture you know of course always on my phone there's a the verse of the day but we have a bible in every bathroom we have <gasps> um, You know, scripture verses hanging on my son's door. We have them in his room. It, it's just always available to me. Only by spending time with our Heavenly Father can we be the best person he created us to be.
2: The essence of a fulfilled life is spending time in the presence of the Father who created us. Would you please thank Jill for that testimony? Reminder for all of us. Welcome to Forest Hill Church. Thanks for coming. One church in six locations. And we are continuing in our series on Vivid, about overcoming the barriers to a fulfilling life. Today, last week, we dealt with the past barriers, barriers in the past, especially the wrongs done to or by us and how forgiveness overcomes those barriers. And today we're going to deal with the barriers that are in the present, especially in the area of the internal nature of what's taking place. I've asked one of our elders, who is Charlie Sternberg, who is actually the South Park Campus representative elder to the assembly, I've asked him to read the scripture for us, uh, for our passages, for our sermon today, after which he'll pray for the congregation as well. So in the honor of the reading of God's word, if you're able, may I ask you to stand as Charlie reads the scriptures for us.
0: Thank you. We'll start with Matthew five, six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew six, twenty-two. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then The light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And finally, first Psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. would you pray for us please? Yes. Lord, we glorify you here today. You've given us the ability to worship freely, for that we do not take for granted. I give thanks for Jonathan and pray his message would draw us closer to you. We need you, Lord. Help us to be pure in heart and hunger for righteousness amongst all the noise in this world. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power,
2: and the glory forever, amen. Amen. Thank you, Charlie. Would you please thank Charlie? (laughs) Thank you. All right, a little bit of a confession here. How many of you have ever given into an infomercial and actually bought something from infomercials? Come on, hands up, hands up. There we go, all right. Well, I have in my collection the, the complete cassette instruction from Kevin Trudeau's memory management. Back in the 90s, I decided as a pastor it would be really good to be able to have a great memory for sermons and for knowing people's faces. And so I have this complete collection that's completely on cassette, which I no longer listen to. Actually, I haven't listened to it for, like, years. But they tapped into something in me, as those infomercials kind of do, about something that you need or something that you want to be be better. As a matter of fact, here's the amazing thing, that by by the time a student graduates from high school, they will have seen 360,000 commercials. By the time the average person gets to 65, they will have watched 2 million commercials. And those commercials, they are created by some brilliant people who know how to do flashy, powerful images and memorable slogans and great music all for this purpose. as to make you convinced that their product, if you purchase their product, your life will be more fulfilling, more happier, more satisfying. And we buy it. We get into that. Because again, they're tapping into something into all of us that we really do want to be better. We want our lives to be more than it is. We want our lives to be more satisfying. And that's the aspect of this entire series, is that there's this desire in us for fulfilling life. Unfortunately, there are some barriers that go along with that. And I want to talk about today one of the most important barriers in the present is what's going on in the inside of us. Next week, we'll deal with the barriers on the outside that we cannot control today. The barriers on the inside that we can, and that has an awful lot to do with our thinking, what goes on in our minds, in our hearts. One of the classic definitions of soul is the mind, the will, and the emotion, where to deal with all those things as far as what takes place, especially in the mind and in the heart. And by the way, to clear up the thing about the heart, when it mentions the heart in the scripture, when Jesus was talking about the heart in his day, they understood that the heart, unlike what we think about it, the heart is not simply the place of just feeling and sentiment. You take a look through Scripture and the heart thinks. The heart has motives. The heart has convictions. The heart has loyalties. Out of the heart comes affections, desires, those kinds of things. And Jesus is dealing with the entire aspect of the inner being. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were most concerned about external righteousness. In other words, doing those things on the outside that may appear make you appear to be a righteous person, like praying, fasting, those things. Jesus, God, they've always been concerned about the inner life, the inner aspect of righteousness for us. And so as we discuss this, we realize that we're going to talk, be talking about the mind, the heart, the inner being, and it basically boils down to this that we're going to be as a, as a foundation for our sermon, and that is this. The flourishing mind, or heart, leads to a flourishing life. Flourishing mind leads to a flourishing heart. Maybe we can be honest about this. We really want to be right with God we really want to be right with ourselves we really want to be right with the world we really want to be right with other people we have this desire the greatest sense of peace comes from knowing that we can be with other people we can be with ourselves we can be in front of god without sense of shame or guilt or fear with no compunction whatsoever in areas of moral purity or of sensibilities and jesus actually mentions that in matthew chapter Uh, 5, about those who are blessed. Again, that word for blessed meaning the fulfillment, the fullness of God within a person's life that produces that inner sense of happiness and joy and peace and contentment that comes from and with God. But he said that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for rightness within inside. They hunger and thirst to the point to where if they don't get it, they're going to die. If they don't get it, something's not going to be right. If they don't get it, life can't go on. And of all the other appetites that they have in the, in the world, that the deepest appetite in their mind, in their heart, is this hunger and this thirst for righteousness. Jesus promises that for those who have that kind of appetite, they will be satisfied. They will be filled. He goes on to say that blessed are those who are pure in heart, and while one definition of pure most certainly is clean, being pure, being free from the pollution and the guilt of sin and wrongdoing, there's another aspect of purity that also means that which is unalloyed, unadulterated, unmixed, undivided, single-minded, single-hearted in devotion and loyalty. Purity of heart comes from the one who has this undivided loyalty to the things of God. Jesus promises that for those kinds of people, blessed are they who have that kind of loyalty, that kind of perspective on the things of God, for they shall see God. As a matter of fact, the actual verb rendering is that they shall continuously see God. Those who are pure in heart will continue, not just that they'll see God in heaven face to face one day, although that will absolutely happen, but that even now, in this world, in this life, that those who are pure in heart, Had the eyes of faith right now to be able to see and behold the ongoing glories of God in their presence. And that that is the desire of our life, to be pure in heart, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, so we can experience the fullness of the life of God in us. Unfortunately, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus also mentions, however, that there are those who are double-minded. He mentions the fact that the eye of the, of the body. And the eye is like the window. The eye kind of connotes the one uh, direction or inclination of a particular life. He says, when the eye is good, when it's focused on something that's good, the eye is the lamp of the body. When it's focused on God's things, then it floods the body with light. But when the eye is focused on things that are evil or wrong or things that are not of the kingdom of God, then it floods the body with darkness. Whatever we're focused on, Cascades that impact into our life. And then Jesus would say, you can't serve both God and money in this particular case, materialism. The truth about it is, is whether it's materialism or power or pleasure or whatever, we can't be focused on God and focused on something else at the same time. And yet that's the game that a lot of us Christians play, right? We profess to follow Jesus Christ, and yet you take a look at our 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 checkbooks, you take a look at our calendars, and we're most certainly in pursuit of other things as well. Jesus says no. The ones that are pure in heart, single-minded in their devotion, that's the one whose eyes are looking at the right thing, and it floods their body with the life and the light of God. And you and I need to be real honest that we have a lot of faulty thinking that's going on. As a matter of fact, faulty thinking took place in the Garden of Eden where the first infomercial was actually done. When the serpent was, Psst, Eve, did God say, and he went through this whole line that really cast dispersions on the character of God, and even though God had said something about the fruit that would be destructive, Eve, the Bible says, Eve took a look at the fruit and said that it was pleasing to the eye, good for food, and profitable for making wise, even though God said it would surely produce death. Something she didn't need, but took in. Again, you and I are guilty sometimes of some faulty thinking that creates barriers that prevent us from experiencing life as God intended it to be. So I'm very happy today and very honored to help explain and give context about this. I've asked one of our pastors, who also oversees the Caring Council ministry here at Forest Hill Church, Rebecca Whitman, to help us in this aspect. Would you please welcome to the stage Rebecca Woodman. <laughs> Thanks, Rebecca. Thank hey, you, Jonathan. I tried to make the, do a little bit of a setting here of your office. Yeah, do you guys feel like
3: you're in my office? This is wonderful. So. it's actually from my office. We're the, gonna turn are, on the lamp here, so exactly. I feel is, even more at <laughs> home. There
2: we go. Turn a little light on the on the situation. See, so you're now there. in Rebecca's office. She's one of our counselors. Welcome. and so we're gonna get some counsel from Rebecca. <laughs> Rebecca, uh, uh, by the way, before we get on that, let me. Let, I, I always like to be able to let you know how your money is being used in changing lives. Forest Hill Church is one of the few churches in Charlotte that actually has a counseling ministry that's offered to those who regularly attend Forest Hill Church who have a generous amount of sessions that don't cost them anything, but they're not free. Because your tithes and your offerings pay for the counselors who are board-certified, licensed counselors to offer a generous amount of sessions to our people. So you need to know that your continued faithfulness in giving is changing lives by helping people work through their social, their mental, their emotional issues. So thank you very much for your generosity. And would you please thank God for his generosity to you. And it enables us to be a blessing as well, too. So thank you. Rebecca, how many counselors do we have about... That are working it for still right so now. So
3: we, I think we have seven. Okay. Um, yeah.
2: And how many people do you? How many appointments, appointments do you see probably during a month?
3: So we have capacity to do about 150 appointments a week, um, and roughly between 700 to 800 appointments a month.
2: 700 to 800 <laughs> appointments a month we helping and that, people in that particular.
3: Right, and that's at South Park and Waxaw.
2: Okay. So. All right. In light of this aspect of the internal problem that we have, this faulty thinking, what are some of the prevalent faulty thinkings that you have encountered and yet you understand it's going out among in our congregation in our world as well, too?
3: Yeah. So I would say it's interesting that you were just talking about Adam and Eve, because I think that it really began there, right? Where we started this toxic thinking of really two things. I would probably summarize it in two ways, two different types of thinking. The first is, Adam and Eve, we're always supposed to feel good, right? We're hardwired to believe that life should feel good, that we should feel good. And God is not concerned necessarily with our comfort. That's us. God is concerned always with how he's going to change us. So I'd say feel good being number one. The second one I would say is not enough. So we begin to believe that we're not enough, or I'm not strong enough to handle whatever's ahead, or it really takes us to God isn't enough. And both of those two, I would say, both I'm supposed to feel good and I'm not enough, or God's not enough, is based on lies, right? Lies from the enemy of these expectations of what life is supposed to bring to us, what it's supposed to look like, that God didn't promise.
2: So we live in a broken world. We're broken people in it. We understand that sin is the basis of that. But what are some of the less spiritual reasons or causes and effects for this problem that we have as far as faulty thinking?
3: Yeah, I guess what I would say here is that um, there are very real aspects to faulty thinking, such as anxiety and depression. And I want to normalize that a little bit today and tell you guys that there are 15 million American adults who are affected by depression. And get this, there are 40 million American adults who are affected by anxiety. And I believe that the church, not Forest Hill, but the big church has done a disservice Mm -hmm. to tell people that if you struggle in some way with one of these types or in some kind of thought process that maybe you don't feel you have control over, that maybe you don't have enough faith. <laughs> and I, and I, I want you to hear that God could change it if he wanted to. This is not outside of his power. This is not outside of his ability. But if he's not taking it away, it's because, again, he's more concerned with your change than your comfort.
2: You said that last night and that ministered to me that simply if you're going through those situations, that doesn't mean you don't have faith.
1: That's right.
2: Well, so then what, what are the impacts some of the impacts that it has on people's lives when they go through these kinds of changes, or not those kinds of changes, the, the, the problems of the faulty thinking. What are the impacts that you've seen?
3: Yeah, so I would say that um, the outcomes are probably pretty bleak, right, in a lot of ways, because it looks like things like divorce and pornography addiction or substance addiction, workaholism. I mean, the list can go on and on. Broken relationships, because what we begin to believe is then the way that we act, Right our thoughts dictate our behaviors. And so some of these really, really hard life outcomes come from faulty thinking. Um, And I would say that with that, what we're really saying is that we have a struggle in our humanity to find peace and contentment. And I think that you know, what I would tell you is that we believe sometimes that peace is like this good church word, like, oh, like you, you know, peace, yeah, I came to give you peace, but let me tell you, friends, that peace and contentment are actually attainable because what it means is that you are dialed in in your vertical relationship first with God, and that is your number one priority, and peace and contentment come out of that. They don't come out of all of these other things that we try to find here, right? Um, And then the other thing I would say is that we as a culture also have this around the corner thinking, right? How many of us are guilty of saying like, well, whenever I get here, whenever my boss sees this value in me, or whenever I read my Bible 365 days out of the year, whenever I do all these things, then life will be good. And I'm here to tell you that nowhere in scripture does it say that when you do all of these things, that life's gonna take it away, that it's gonna be good, right? Because again, he's more concerned with changing you. Yeah. He really, really is okay with you being in the deep end.
2: So there's a reality that there are some destructive forces that are at work in our life, especially when we try those illegitimate means to, to succeed. So I would love for you to take some time now and help us understand what's some counsel that you would offer to help us move beyond faulty thinking into a more flourished way of thinking. This yeah. is your this is your this is your time. We want to be able to hear the pastoral counsel. Oh, I'm
3: gonna preach, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so the first thing I would say is just that we are a culture built on distraction, right? I mean, that's really kind of at the gist of it. And we have these little phones now that go with us to the bathroom and everywhere we go. And um, so we really, I mean, we have a new brand of addiction because we really don't know what it's like to be quiet. We don't really know what it's like to sit before the Lord. And I'm here to tell you that you can do that. I really believe that you can do that. And so the first thing I would say is that um, I would ask you to slow down, just to slow down. I asked my team this week, what's one thing that you want me to share? And they said, tell them to slow down, tell them to get off the treadmill. And I would say that I am definitely guilty to that as well, because life kind of demands a lot of us. And we believe that more, the more that we're accomplishing, the higher our value is. And I just don't necessarily believe that's what God says, right? So slow down. The other thing I want you to hear is that um, the, the people that are the most afraid of turning it off, turn off your TV, turn off your radio, all those things, like when we're afraid of the quiet, we're probably the most unhealthy, right? So just slow down and be quiet for a little while.
2: Why, why are we afraid of being quiet?
3: Because I think that we're afraid of what our thoughts will tell us. And I think that we believe that when we really sit and allow the Lord to speak to us, that maybe he would say that, you know, there's something wrong with us, that there's this shame factor. Mm -hmm. And God loves you so much that if he's not changing it, if he's having you sit in your pain or he's having you sit in a place where you feel like you can't hear from him, it's because he's doing something. He's doing something. I tell people that in my office all the time. If God isn't fixing it, if you're not hearing from him, it doesn't mean he's not good. It means he loves you that much that he wants to speak. And he wants you to slow down your life so that he can. The second thing I would say is that I want you to be aware of what you're thinking. I want you to kind of listen. They always say in every recovery program that awareness is the first step. And be okay with feeling the feelings and facing the fears. And if you feel like you can't do that, that would be my third point, is talking to a trusted person. If you feel like, gosh, Rebecca, I don't have anybody in my life who I trust, or I don't know who I would go to, maybe it's that you come to somebody that's professional and you speak. And what I would say is that in talking to someone, that's actually confession, which is a beautiful thing and something that God calls us to. Because I would say that in my office, when people come and they tell me their stories, it's so much less about what I'm going to tell you or what the Holy Spirit will speak through me as much as it is that God has now taken what was in the darkness and brought it into light by way of you just telling your story, just talking about, I'm struggling with this. And we understand that this is a reality for a lot of you. So we have actually started a short-term group that we do in the fall and the winter called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. That gives you a place just to do that, to kind of learn like how do I begin to hear from the Lord and how do I wrestle with some of these emotions that I feel that sometimes don't feel healthy. So
2: So your office like that course is also that's a safe place for people to be able to process what's going on yes. inside of them.
3: Yes, absolutely. And um, just two other things I would say too. I, thought I told you I get a preaching
2: job. No, 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 please go. <laughs> this is your time. Um
3: two other things is that We struggle, I think, especially in the church, with this idea that we're not supposed to really feel proud about anything. And I want you to know that when you change your thinking, you must replace it with something else. So if you're believing that you're not enough or that God isn't enough, you're going to replace that with something that God is doing in you. And that's a place of being proud. And one time I heard at a Women Under Construction event several years ago, and it's really stuck with me. I love this. Janet Fisher said this. She said that we as a culture believe that when someone gives us a compliment that we have to deflect it, that we like kind of let it ping pong off of us. But really what God wants us to do as our heavenly father, just like you as parents, you can speak all of this. You can tell me all of the strong suits of your children. Your heavenly father wants you to be able to do that about you. And so when someone gives you a compliment rather than deflecting, you rub it in and you like kind of physically do that on your heart. You rub it in. I love, I love that that's so that's much. And then the last thing I want to tell you is just not to be overwhelmed because I know that we, even when we come to church on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights, we hear all these things and we think, I can't do that. Or gosh, if I can only do these these things and I'll be okay. And what I want to tell you is just take the next best step. That's all that God is asking of you. That's all that he wants in terms of changing your thought life is just take the next best step. You don't have to have it all figured out. Friends, you won't have it all figured out. But God does, and he loves you, and he wants you to be okay with swimming in the deep end because that's where he is, and that's where he does his greatest work in you.
2: Rebecca, did you like, did you like that? Was that all good? Yeah. Thank you. Rebecca, you have been serving this church for many years, and you've developed such a pastor's heart. I would love to ask you to pray. Yeah. Right now, Your pastor's heart for us in this regard.
3: I would love that. Oh, Father God, our heavenly Father, our Daddy, the one who knows us and loves us no matter what. Father, thank you for your children in this room. Thank you, God, that you love them so much that, God, you have wired them in such a way that they get to know you and experience you. And, Father, we ask for your forgiveness for the times where we allow the distractions of this life and the noise of this world to be louder, God, than your voice. But we know that you are real, and we know that you speak, and we know that you love us. So God, sit us down long enough to absorb your truth. Allow us to be a people who live out of our knowledge of you because we have taken time to find you. And Father God, thank you that you restore and you redeem everything, even our faulty thinking and the anxieties of this world, God. You have promised us in Scripture. We have the confidence in Scripture that you will restore and redeem all things. But God, what you have not said is that we always get to be privy to the evidence of that. You have not promised that we always get to see the perfect, beautiful end result. But God, you are always doing something. So Lord, thank you that you love these people. I pray that what they would walk out of here today with is this knowledge and this truth that God, you love them, that you are doing something and that their thoughts belong to you. Father, you be the keeper of our thought closets. We love you so much.
2: Amen. Amen. Would you please thank Rebecca (laughs) Woodman? It's good stuff. One of the things I'm grateful for about the power of the gospel and all of that is that Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, saves us from the penalty of sin. Saves us from the guilt. God's forgiveness pardons us, cleans us, and actually he declares us innocent through Jesus Christ. That's what he saves us from, the penalty. But also... The death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection saves us to something else. It saves us to the abundant life God always wanted for us. Not just to heaven later, but to the sense of the abundant life that is possible for us right now. And one of the ways that that happens is that he wants to see our minds change because we understand also that uh, you've heard the statement that says, if you sow uh, thought, You reap a word. If you sow a word, you reap a deed. If you sow a deed, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. If you sow a character, you reap a destiny. Where does it all start? The thought. If you deal with the thoughts, the outcome, the destiny can change. And the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just from hell, but in life right now, gives us the power to say no to the wrong things inside and outside. The scripture promises us in 2 Corinthians chapter five that all all those who are in Christ, they are new creatures. The old has gone, the new has come, but it also informs us in Romans chapter 12 verse two, it says that we should not be conformed to this world, to the pattern, to the system of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Only then, We'll be able to test that we can discern what is the will of God, what is his good and acceptable, perfect, his pleasing will. The prospect of transforming ourselves through the renewing of our mind. Mike Howerton wrote a story in his book entitled The Glorious Mess. And he recalls that he and his friends, his neighborhood friends, decided to play mud football in a gully of two inches of standing water near their house. Had been a major downpour, and he, they got into this gully, and they basically felt as if they were in heaven. Because the, the, the football was like a greased pig. There was a lot of laughter. When you tackled; you could tackle a person, and they would slide for miles in the mud. And they were having this incredible time, and all of a sudden, after one particular tackle, he noticed his friend coming up out of the water, and there was something on his shoulder. What they didn't know was that there was a large concrete sewage runoff drain that was right near the gully, and they hadn't checked (laughs) about the debris that was in this mud pit. And when he got out of the water and he saw this friend, he got up close to it and he realized that what was on his friend's shoulder was a completely soiled and used toilet paper. And at that very moment, the smell hit them, and they realized where they were, and Mike yells to his friends and says, We've been playing in poop water. And then all the boys ran as fast as they could home. He said it was, a, it was an amazing mental transformation in that moment in realizing that we had thought we had been playing in mud, only to realize we were rolling around in sewage. Can I tell you that although there's a lot of good in this world, there's a lot of sewage in this world. That ends up in our minds, and you and I have been deceived into thinking sometimes that while we're having fun, that we're actually rolling around in sewage. Uh, the Paul basically says in this particular passage, stop trying to be on the outside something that does not agree with who you are on the inside. Stop conforming to the world's standards, the world's systems, the world's way of thinking because it doesn't agree with who you are on the inside as followers of Jesus Christ. Instead, allow who you are on the inside, the kingdom citizen, the life of Christ, allow that. To come forth and continue the process of transforming your life. That way you will know what is good. You will know the will of God. You will know what is pleasing and perfect in his sight. Transformation is what God has called us to. So here's the, here's the deal. Here's the slogan then. Think great thoughts. Think great thoughts. It's been proven that those who live great lives think great thoughts. And for us there are basically two major categories for which we can kind of dive into for thinking some great thoughts. One of them comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, a wide variety. And here's what Paul says in Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. What I love about that passage is that it's not just only about Scripture. He says, whatever. It's a wide variety. You've got all kinds of choices of things to choose from for those things that are true, pure. As a matter of fact, would you like to participate in an exercise with me? Hands up. You want to participate? (laughs) We're going to do it anyway. So so here's here's what I'm asking you to do. (laughs) Close your eyes. Try not to go to sleep. Close your eyes. And I want you right now to think of something that's lovely. Think of something that is lovely. Maybe it's you being on a beach in a tropical island. Or if you're not really into the heat right now, maybe you're in a cabin surrounded by snow. (laughs) Maybe it's playing with puppies or kittens. Maybe it's a favorite novel. Maybe it's looking into a starry night sky without city lights so you can even see a portion of the Milky Way. Maybe it's fresh bouquet of flowers in spring or the leaves on Grandfather Mountain in the trees in the fall. Maybe it's spending time with that special someone. But right now, think of something that's lovely and just stay in that for a moment. If you have that picture in your mind, raise your, just raise your hand. If you've got that picture in your mind, just raise your hand. All right, you can open your eyes. You can open your eyes. I just got you to obey Scripture. You like that? You just obeyed Scripture, and it didn't even hurt. As a matter of fact, I would say that maybe it was pleasurable, because what's interesting is that as you were doing that, I saw smiles on faces. Wasn't there a sense of a lightning in thinking about those kinds of things? That's a taste of the flourishing mind and a foretaste of the flourishing life. When we're focusing on anything, whatever is true, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable excellence, that's a foretaste of the kind of life and mind that Christ has for us and wants for us to experience. But there's probably no greater source of great thoughts than the scripture than God's word. It's not just simply words. It's... Words that have life and power and import in them. So I'm going to read this passage to you from Psalm chapter 1. Charlie read it earlier on. And I'm going to read it carefully. And I want you, as you listen to it, kind of take the words, each of the words carefully and allow them to sift through your mind as I read through this passage from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. This man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And all that he does he prospers. This is a man who is like a tree planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. This is the one who meditates day and night in the law of the Lord as his delight. What I love about that passage, it first of all starts with that word blessed. There's that word again. Blessed is the man. This person has the fullness of God, the contentment, satisfaction that comes from a relationship with God, living in and through his life. It's not the one who stands in the way of sinners or seers or scoffers, but this is the one who meditates. His delight, not duty, not just discipline, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates. Meditates is focused thinking. People say, if you can worry, you can meditate. It's focused thinking on the Word of God, day and night. That kind of person is like a tree that is planted by streams of water, which means it'll never go dry. It will yield its fruit, produce good things at the right time. If it's a leaf, there'll be no withering. And I love this part. Whatever he does, he prospers. Who is that? The person who's planted, rooted in the Word of God that changes his thinking. My encouragement to you is that in spending time with the Word, this is probably one of the most important things. If you go to the Word of God thinking that God is basically wanting to kind of pummel you into into the ground with guilt and shame, and all he wants to do is just to show you you're wrong, and that's it, we won't go. We're not going to read the Bible a whole lot. Here's what I want you to get in your mind. You go to the scripture understanding this one most important fact. God really, dearly, extravagantly loves you. No lie. Loves you to the point of offering what was precious to him because you are precious to him. He loves you. He is the one that wrote that book. His revelation of truth and life for that which he loves. So that when you come to the word and you read it you do so with a curious mind you want to know more about him and about the characters and about the plot and the settings you come with a creative mind you know you're not just reading words on a page no you're actually reading life when i read the bible it's kind of like what i when i use to read comic books i see things happening there's action going on i'm a director of a movie and i've got all kinds of stuff happening i'm reading that seeing it taking place when you come you have maybe an honest mind sometimes when you come to the scripture you may say i'm not sure if i buy it it's okay to come to the scripture. I'm not sure if I, if I, underst- I don't understand it or even agree with it. That's okay. Still keep coming. Be honest about that. God, I'm not sure if I get this. Be honest about that. Come to the scripture with an intentionality. Sometimes to say, God, huh. sometimes I do this before, <laughs> before I open the book. I'm like, okay, whatever it tells me to do, I'm going to do. And I still see the love, not the drudgery. But you come to it recognizing that there is also a sense of expectancy, because in coming to the Word, you're going to be changed. One of my dear friends, best friends, uh, his name is Bob, he and I worked at a church together years and years ago. And Bob was over our operations facilities, and uh, Bob was a gruff man, just gruff, prickly, okay, you don't really hug a guy like that. and we had a, and he was always that, that way. He was always kind of an outlier. You know, people were always talking about Bob, but not necessarily with Bob, you know. And then we had a staff retreat, and I got to room with Bob. It's like, I don't know how that worked out, but I got to room with Bob, which was one of the best times of my life because I had a chance of actually getting to know the human being of Bob, and I, I got to love him. Well, later on, Bob and his wife decided that they would go through the process. They bought some Bibles on CD, Bible on CD, and they made a commitment that every every single day they spent literally two to three hours just listening to the CDs, the Bible, quiet, still listening to it. Folks, after about a, a month, we began to see changes in Bob's life. The prickly was gone, the gruff was gone, there was tenderness and I would watch Bob weep at certain things simply because of his ongoing familiarity, closeness with scripture, it changed his thinking and it changed his life. And Bob became one of my best friends and one of the most beloved members of our staff at that time. I promise you, you spend time interacting with God in his word and it will change your life because meditation and application to God's revelation is the seat of change and transformation in your life. Meditation, application to God's revelation provides personal transformation. But that's the choice we make in a flourishing mind that leads to a flourishing